Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. We're good. Thumbs up from the peanut gallery in the back. So there we go. Proverbs chapter 10, if you'd like to look at that and uh, join with us in following along. Hopefully people will hear our voices and make their move in here. But if not, we're going to go on without them. So there we go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you, Lord God. We just stand before you today recognizing your word is eternally true and living. We thank you, Father, that as we expose ourselves to it, that, that you are indeed putting things in us and arranging those things in us in such a way that we can use them to live our lives with. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 10 changes the, the literary structure of how this is being laid out. So let me give you just a, a freckle history, you know, literature. I don't know how to tell you all this kind of stuff. But, but let me show you these things so that you can process it a little bit. So first of all, let's talk about the New Testament kind of thing that goes in here. We all know that the Bible says in the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, let me tell you what it doesn't say. Faith doesn't come because of having heard. Okay, the, the, the important part of processing Proverbs is not, oh, yeah, I know that the Bible says that somewhere. Faith doesn't come from having heard. In fact, the, the, the process is a present tense and, and almost a personal tense, meaning that as the truth abides in you and you hear in relationship to the word of God in present tense. OK, so so God prepares you for what's about to happen, but. He needs your faith to be active and a today issue. And so when we start looking at these things, what we can maybe ascertain is these are, according to tradition and, and historical record, these are the wise sayings or the proverbs of Solomon. Okay, Solomon being David's son reigning. So Solomon is a king when this is going on. And because of what we know historically and how we understand tradition to go, it would likely not have been uh, uh, impossible for Solomon to see that what he's doing is to train up the person who's supposed to be following him. All right. So this is this is training for reigning, so to speak. That's how I remember it. It rhymes training for reigning that Solomon is doing. And when we put the, the New Testament thing with it, we find out that faith or how we operate in these things comes by hearing. And again, it's a present tense activity. Faith doesn't come as having heard. If that was the case, all we would have to do is to get us a little tape player or a little internet connection and turn the word of God on in our house 24-7 while you're sleeping and having heard that, it would give you faith. That's basically the error that many of us make when we think we're building our faith. We're building our faith with what has already been spoken to us. And while that's good for you to say that's how my faith comes, that's not true. In fact, the only place where the Bible talks about building faith, it literally says building upon your most holy faith by praying in the spirit. Now, I know that, that you say, what does this have to do with anything? He's going to take for the next 12 chapters of the book of Proverbs, almost half of, of Proverbs, 
are two-line literary things called couplets. Okay? A couplet is basically through a literary device where one line and the following line are used either to show the same thing or to tie them together for support or to show comparison of simple truths or contrasts of simple truths. Okay, so it might say you might see a a couplet that has a, a statement about righteousness and a statement about wickedness. That's a contrast. Righteousness works this way, wickedness works the other way. That's a contrast. You may see <coughs> words that, that are comparisons. So you would, say, you would say things like, as the rain falls down to the earth and waters, so shall my word, now that's Isaiah using that, so shall my word be. So it's a, it's a comparison that says, here's how this simple truth works. And then the other thing is, it ties it together. So you might see a, a scripture or, or, or passage in here that says, The righteous man um, shall, shall have um, wealth and God will add no sorrow to it. Okay? So those are, those are tied together things that he wants us to get. Now, because they're accredited or, or, or given to, to Solomon in this point, we have to recognize or we should recognize that it's possible that this started as a real intimate way to pass on how to rule and reign in this life. Okay? So when you start processing this, you say, man, oh man, we just, we just labored our way through nine chapters where there was kind of stories and pictures. And now he's just going to give us these, 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 you know, bullet passages that all stand by themselves. And so there's this, this process that I think you need to have where as you read these 12 or 13 chapters of Proverbs, that you look for those elements that you can stand on in those single verses. And I would encourage you to, when you read chapter 10... To, to basically go through it the first time and find your favorite one. Oftentimes your favorite one is the one that God is speaking to you today that will help you today. That's a now faith is moment. So again, faith doesn't come from having heard. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is a present tense activity. And so if you think, well, I, uh, God always prepares me for what's going on. Well, yes, but most of the time, the present tense activity of faith happens in the face of what you're going through. You have a choice. Most of us spend more time listening to what's happening inside our head than what we can find in the Bible. And he says, hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we're hearing by our own voice, oftentimes we'll take what we think we learned and use it to deal with what we think we're going through. Okay? See, that's why a lot of Christians who thought if they prayed and studied, they wouldn't go through stuff. And when they go through stuff, what do they think about? They think about what's in their head rather than what God's Word says. You can't feed yourself with already chewed food. Right? I mean... You know, this is not this regurgitation of fact and, and, and stuff that you got. You, you don't feed yourself from that. You feed yourself from an active word of God in your life in the moment. So I know that a lot of people want to build faith so they can go through stuff. But the real issue becomes, how do we go through what we go through without kind of degenerating into our own mind that says, well, I'm not supposed to go through this. Well, congratulations. But stopping in the middle of the race to decide that there isn't supposed to be a race only guarantees you to run the race again. 
(laughs) Stopping in the middle of the race you're running to decide there isn't a race only guarantees that you get to run the race again. We're in a race in life. Now, don't, don't don't hear that wrong. It's not about winning and losing. It's about staying on the path that God has for you. And occasionally we go through things in life where we don't like what we go through. And so then we have these choices. We can go with faith that we heard, which is us kind of regurgitating. And, and, and again, it's not, it's not wrong. It's just not living. Okie dokie. <laughs> How many of you understand that the living word you got yesterday was likely for what you were going through yesterday? So it's not that it's not living, it's that you chewed it yesterday. If you refuse to chew it, then you can hold it over and try and chew it today. Right? But, but most of what we're going through are meant to be, to, me, to be activities of faith that happen in the moment. So faith comes by hearing, not having heard. It's an active, in-your-face kind of explanation of how faith works. And most of us, having grown up in the faith message, thought, well, if I just keep studying, reading books and doing all this kind of stuff, when it comes down to it, I'll have the faith necessary. That's possible. But the more probable explanation of that is the moment that you're in that thing, if you'll stop listening to yourself, if you'll stop listening to the people that got solutions to your problems and start listening to God through his active word, he will actually give you in that moment. See, that's why Jesus said to his disciples, take no thought for what you'll say, for in that moment, I'll give you what to say. See, and, and, and so anyway, why do we read Proverbs? Because we, we need some activity inside of us that as we're just doing the discipline of walking through what God's calling us to go, to, to go through, we see these things and we go, oh, wow, that's for today. So that's what a couplet does. Again, it ties together two similar thought processes for support. Or, or it gives us comparison of simple truths, or it gives us contrasts of simple, simple truths. All right, so notice if you would, please, Proverbs chapter, is that clear as mud? <coughs> you say, well, why did you do all of that, Pastor? Well, I, I think the church is struggling, based on what it's been through over the last, let's say, four years, that, that they thought, we thought, that our faith would deliver to us what we wanted. Does that make sense? And what our faith delivered to us is what God wanted. It was a living and active faith for the moment. And what did we do? With, what, did, what did some people in the Christian community do with it? They argued and were angry. They were confused and disillusioned. Why? Because what they were telling themselves didn't line up with what was going on. See, God's not a God of confusion. If you're confused, you've got a problem, but God doesn't. Amen. Let's just get into this. and I'm just kind of waiting for the light bulb to turn on. And, you know. Here it is, verse number one. A wise son makes glad his father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Notice there's a similar truth there and a comparison. So these are what are called couplets. Now, I'm going to pick and choose through this because these are the ones I like, okay? Here's the one I want you to talk about. Treasures, verse 2, treasures of wickedness profit nothing. Now, stop for just a second. Here's your truth. 
the treasure that wickedness produces, okay, treasures that come from illicit gain. You say, well, that's good if I can get some illicit gain. Gain. I've known, known Christians who, who don't handle finances right and they think it's a gain, but it says it profits nothing. Here's what Christians can do when you see this. Oh, yeah, it profits. Don't you see? There's these immoral people that are making money. No, no, wait a minute. If you want your faith to be active, if you want to be able to fight the temptation that comes with this kind of wickedness, right, you're going to have to understand that the Bible's truth is it profits nothing. So when somebody comes to you with an idea or with an event that is too good to be true, it's too good to be true. When a Christian is approached by someone and, and says, oh, you ought to invest in this. Listen, I got all kinds of investment advice for you. Okay? I want you to use more natural gas. Want to know why? Does anybody care? I got stock in gas. Very good. Very good. All right. So part of my retirement is tied up in the midstream pipeline companies that pump natural gas from here and either store it or deliver it. I want them to do well, so, so use more gas. And in fact, you should invest in those companies. Do you see that I kind of have a horse in the race? I didn't invest that. I didn't know the company that, that God told Tracy and I to invest in way back when. I didn't even know it existed. And God made it clear to me that that was one of the things. And so I said, okay. You know, and I didn't understand it. How many of you know that investment people will tell you don't invest in stuff you don't understand? Unless God tells you to. <laughs> so it says... <laughs> Treasures of wickedness. It's wicked for me to tell you things that only benefit me. Come on. Stay with me. Because if you don't, these things won't make any sense to you. And when it comes down to having a living faith for an opportunity that's just right there in your face. You won't have the ability to take the living word and have a moment or literally a now faith is moment that says this is what God says. Notice it says, but the righteous delivers from death. Notice that if you just make this about, <coughs> about profit and about money, you're missing the point. These are two contrasting truths. Okay, so what is God's position for us? in this passage, is to be delivered from things that lead us to death. You say, well, I don't understand, Pastor. How many of you recognize that the stuff that you understand in God will lead you to life? The things you understand in the world will lead you to death. Are we together? It's a contrasting truth. You can live on that. Again, this is training for reigning, so to speak. This is Solomon potentially speaking to his <coughs> gathering of, of, of young men who very likely might have been the next king of Israel. <coughs> Verse number three. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. Okay. How many of you have ever been hungry and maybe not had enough money to satisfy that hunger and decided that if God was God, he would provide for you your food. Okay, that isn't what this says. 
It says God won't allow, are you reading with me? The righteous what? What's he saying? He's saying the will, the intellect, and the emotion of an individual righteous person shall not be slack based on what they're going through. Famish, be, be without, right? He won't, he won't allow that. But it doesn't say you won't be without. It says he won't allow your soul to process it that way. Not sure how to get this across to you. But are you tracking with me that much of what you go through is not as bad as you make it out to be because you keep talking to yourself about how bad it is? And the living faith for that moment is, is you saying, no, right here. Look at what it says right here for this, what I'm going through. I mean, <clears throat> if you were going through this and it was your day to read Proverbs chapter 10, you wouldn't have to get three verses into Proverbs and figure out that God was speaking to you. This is not about what you're going through. This is about how you process what you're going through. Okie dokie. He cast away the desire of the wicked. He casts away the desire. Again, contrasting truths here. The, <coughs> the, the casting away, literally throwing away. You actually, listen, you actually have to work harder to ignore the truth of God than to accept the goofiness of wickedness. If you're made in God's image, you have a design inside of you to hear God's voice. And many people hear God's voice, but then they argue with it. They don't process it right. Why? Well, because they don't understand that he won't allow my soul to famish. Literally, he won't allow the starvation effect to happen in the soul of a righteous man, in the will, intellect, and emotion. He didn't say you'd never go hungry. You might go hungry, but your soul, right? How many of you remember one of the first happenings with Jesus was when the... the, uh, the Spirit of God, after his baptism, came up to him and led him into the wilderness to be tempted of God for 40 days. You all remember that story? And for 40 days he didn't eat, and it says afterwards he hungered. You mean he wasn't hungry? During the 40, I, I've fasted a few days, and I just want to tell you something. The first thing you get to fight is hunger. Because you believe when that stomach growls. Time to eat. When it stops growling, you forget about the food. Isn't that interesting? What he's trying to get us to see here, what I think he's trying, he says, I'll not allow you in your, in your soul, in your will, in your intellect, in your emotions, how you deal with these things. This is one of the most powerful spiritual principles that we have to get across. Whatever you're going through, the pathway that God intends for you to walk is not the one of struggle intellectually, emotionally, will, intellect. Well, I don't deserve this. Okay, whatever. But do you understand that when you start arguing with yourself on the inside, that you have a limited ability to take the word of God and have a now faith this moment? Does that make sense? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not having heard the word of God. The word of God is the instrument of your hearing, not the having heard part. It's a present tense deal. All right, verse four. He who has a slack hands become poor. 
Look at the second half. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Notice (laughs) that in this couplet, he ties together the desires of man into what the result of that desire is. But he who has a slack hand becomes poor. Now, I just got to tell you something. If you're poor and your hand is slack, stop asking why God isn't blessing you. Thank you for that thunderous response. (laughs) That's painful, isn't it? Well, I just didn't feel like going to work today. See verse 3. The righteous soul won't famish. He doesn't, he's not asking how you feel today. You say, well, but pastor, you know, God knows. Okay. And you begin to use your own wisdom, your own intellect, your own soul to determine how God deals with things when he tells you right here. Look at verse number seven. The memory of the righteous is blessed. Now, there's two ways to see this. You can see the memory of a person or the actual physical memory of the person. Probably both of them apply here, but it says the name of the wicked will rot. The name of the wicked will rot. How many of you have ever seen a wicked person who you think makes too much money? The class warfare that's happening in our country right now? Crazy. Nobody needs that much money. Can I point out to you, based on the favor of God, if you leveled the playing field, in 5 to 15 years, the playing field would look just like it looks today? Because some folks have a push, right? Some don't. You say, well, but that isn't fair. God never said fair. That's your will, that's your intellect, that's your emotion. So notice he says the memory of the righteous is blessed. How you remember that person and how that person remembers. I think that's a positive one. Okay. It it literally shows us this this integrity of conduct that comes in in an Old Testament understanding of righteous. This integrity of conduct is what God is talking about. Notice in verse number um, um, nine, it says, He who walks with integrity. What's integrity? Integrity is how to walk in righteousness. What what does it mean? It it compares, look at the second half of the verse. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. He who perverts his ways. It's comparing integrity versus perversion. Integrity versus perversion. Notice that in in this couplet, there's a comparison of these two truths or these two ideas. And one of them is clearly better than the other. He walks securely. He who perverts his ways will become known. Isn't it interesting? Verse number 11. The mouth of the righteousness of the righteous is a well of life. Notice that what he's trying to get you to see here is that the process of living is what comes out of your mouth. The process of living is what comes out of your mouth. I've dealt with so many people who believe that God doesn't want to bless his children. They think they're, they're you know, if you, if you all lived <coughs> 70 years ago during the, the, the infancy or the childhood of your own parents, many of you, your own parents or grandparents, <coughs> you would believe that, that religiosity required this, this poverty mentality. I... 
when my mother passed away. I was cleaning her stuff, and she had saved uh, the receipt for her mother's funeral from 1958. Okay? And they paid the pastor five dollars to do the service and they probably thought that was a lot in that day and it may very well have been they paid six hundred dollars for a casket and fifteen dollars for the service that the mortuary did six hundred and twenty dollars it's hundreds of times more than that today by, by simple math, God grows our expectation. You say, well, pastor, don't you think all this, this, this inflation is bad? Do you think God is unaware? You think he's unaware? I don't think he's unaware. But pastor, you don't understand. A loaf of bread costs $4. Well, whose money are you going to spend? If it's God, notify him. He's not actually ignorant of that. You say, but, but pastor, you don't understand. I don't have enough money. The, the issue in most people's life is not enough money. That's what they think. The issue spiritually is the perspective you had toward your money. Sorry. <laughs> the, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. What's he asking you then, if we take this to today, what is he asking you? Or more specifically, how is he asking you to talk about what you're going through? Living faith today talks differently about what's going through. Right? Come on. How many of you remember when, when, when the price of eggs went up? Holy buckets. It went from a dollar a dozen or whatever they cost to like $4 a dozen or something like that. But let me just point out to you that, that probably when they went to $4 a dozen, they were only 40 cents a piece. So we'll complain about what an egg costs and go out for breakfast instead. It costs between three and four times to pay somebody to cook your stuff than it does to eat your expensive egg at home. What happens is the mouth of the righteous doesn't speak life. Are we together? I hope so. Verse number 16. The labor of the righteous leads to life. Now don't raise your hands and, and don't look guilty, okay? Are you ready? If you hate your job... You're not thinking right about what your job is supposed to do. Look at it. The labor of the righteous leads to life. He doesn't say the labor you like. See, when we go through these times, we say, well, my boss doesn't pay me enough. Put these two verses together. The mouth of the righteous is the well of life. Lord, I just thank you today based on Proverbs verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 11, that my mouth speaks life into my living. Verse number 20. No, where were we? 16. The labor of the righteous leads to life. And thank you, Father, that my work leads to life. Now, <clears throat> you say, well, yeah, but Pastor, you don't understand who the people I work with. It doesn't make any difference whether I understand who you work with or not. I understand what the end result's supposed to be. 
If you work with someone, if you work, your labor is to lead to life. You understand that, that what God's trying to show us in Proverbs is, is, a, is a moment by moment living by faith. I used to think that my spiritual gift of being able to see idiots was actually real. I always saw lazy idiots. I was always tempted to look at the homeless people and roll down the window and holler some anything helps and I got something's going to help you. Listen, sell the dog and get a job. That was my advice. Sell the dog and get a job. That wasn't God's advice because you see, my mouth wasn't a well of life. It was a well of my opinion that we think would lead somebody else to life. <laughs> Come on. How many of you can, don't raise your hands. How many of you can, can, can look at some people and know the solution to their problem? You just know what they need to do. You, you listen, if you're a parent and you're in the grocery store, you know what that naughty little kid needs. If you're the parent with the naughty little kid, you just want to get out of that place without killing them yourself. Right? What are we trying to do here? And see, we make this so complicated all the time, and we don't even realize that what God is saying here is that it's possible for you to have your mouth connect with the words that bring life. It's possible for your work to connect and lead life. Then he says, (laughs) the wages of sin, do you see it? The wages of the wicked... To sin. That's what it leads to. The way, so if we were to put wages up there in verse 16 at the top, it's a comparative thing. He says the labor of the righteous leads to life and the wages. Literally, he's trying to show us these things that labor and obedience are literally the wages that come from that righteousness leads to life. So the wages of the righteous leads to life. How many of you recognize that God has an opinion about how you spend your paycheck? I know, see, now here I can, I can really meddle here. Let me take it to the very simplest of simple. I don't care as an individual whether you make $100 or $100,000. I know what part goes to God. The first part. Not the middle part, not the last part. In Genesis, when Cain kills Abel, it says when he brought his offering, which one of them did the killing? Cain. When Cain brings his offering, he brought it out of what was left. Why didn't God like it? Because he didn't put God first. Abel brought the first fruit, first little of his animals, and sacrificed it to the Lord. And Cain brought, and it was all over and said, he's got this much left, let's give that to God. Can I point out to you that when your wages are not handled according to the Bible truth, you will be producing a different fruit than you think. Because you've entered into how this truth works. Does that make sense? The labor of of the righteous leads to life. So it's interchangeable. The next half of the verse says the wages of the wicked leads to sin. So notice that if the use of your wages leads you to sin, one of you has a problem. 
You understand that if your freedom in Christ is limited by the bondage of the devil, you have a word problem, not an activity problem. You have a word problem. The Bible says you've been freed from the law of sin and death. You have a word problem. Right? John chapter 8, verse 31, if the truth sets you free, you should be free indeed. If you have a bondage issue, you have a word problem. That's what Proverbs does for us. Look at verse number 17. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. How many of you have ever had a two-year-old or somewhere in that neighborhood hand you whatever it is that they're trying to get open to eat? Right. They want to do it. I, I remember when we had our first son, he, he was he was in a, a high chair and we were still running restaurants and and he was just fat as a little toad. And and so he, when you set him down and push the high chair deal up against him, why well, he looked like a backstop, you know, just all. And I'd take his shirt off. And, and when I was cooking, why well, I'd, I'd take a packet of jelly and I would just pull, you know, them little packets like that. I just pull the corner of that packet up. And then when he'd squawk, I'd pitch it on his tray. And he'd work and work and work to get that open. Why? Why did he work to get it open? Because what was inside of it? You know, I could have taught him, if you just crack it a little bit and put the corner in your mouth and suck on it, it'll all come out real quick. But he learned how. So what's he saying here? He says, he who keeps instruction. You notice how individual people don't always like the instruction. They don't want to keep it. They don't want to be obedient to the instruction. Amen? If that's you, then you're going to be like the two-year-old who says, I can do it myself. Well, if you can, go ahead. But if you can't, in fact, you really ought to move the line of I can't back a little ways. Because there are some people who have figured out how to make their wheel run faster than you could ever make it run. And maybe you should learn something from them. Just interesting. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life. Verse 17, second half. He who refuses correction goes astray. He who refuses correction. I can't tell you the number of people who will come for counseling, sit for one or two opportunities and then tell me, I got it, pastor, I got it. And they'll go off on their own. Guess what? They don't got it. Because you see, you lose the accountability. Right? Instruction. Obedience to instruction is accountability. Amen. Notice in verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. I translate that this way. Just because you know the truth doesn't mean you have to tell everybody all the truth you know. Okay. See, one of the things about realizing that you don't know everything is you lose the temptation to tell everybody the everything you know. Come on, how many of you ever had somebody come up to you with unsolicited advice? What are they doing? They're telling you how to fix your problems. Notice it says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. He who restrains his lips is wise. How many of you recognize that it's really easy to tell somebody to stop doing something? How many of you ever done that with, their, with your children? 
told them to stop or to do either one, either, either direction. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, Tracy was excellent at this. And, uh, I'm probably putting several stories together, but I came home from work one day and there were big trash bags full of toys. I said, what's this? She says, we're throwing them away. I said, why? Because they wouldn't pick them up. She quit talking. If you don't pick your toys up, we're going to throw them away. Oh, they were crying. Them guys. Mom's throwing her toys away. Okay, wait, that's not the story, is it? See, she was the, the wise person restrains their lips. You can threaten until you turn green. And if the little kids, if you're right, if they're not some, some sort of, oh man, mom means business, right? See, that's why it rarely works to threaten your kids when dad gets home, okay? You can try, but rarely works. Notice it says, he restrains his lips. What does it mean to restrain your lip? Don't talk. Very good. Notice the implication is for you to hold them back. See, a lot of people won't restrain their lips and then they'll say, but you know, that's what God's word says. So, so they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, I love you, Lola. But then the whole time you're beating Lola up with your words. It's pretty hard to tell somebody they love you where they're pretty sure that, they, that you don't like them. See, it doesn't always work. And by the way, <laughs> like any sort of situation, they're not going to walk with you very long. You lose the opportunity to influence when you refuse to restrain your lips. Amen. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. You say, well, wow, that's some strong stuff. How many of you know out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. How does your heart become valuable? By only speaking what God puts in there. Only saying it when God says you can. Remember what Jesus said in the book of John? He said, I only say what my father says. I only do what my father does. I see him do it. I think that's a good idea. God's never had a bad idea. Amen. Notice in the 21st verse. So you got, what is this, about three or four Five verses about, about how you talk. It says 21, the lips of the righteous feeds many. How many of you know you can't technically feed somebody by your lips? What's he talking about? What's, what's the context? By your words. By your words you're feeding them. Notice what it says there. But fools die for lack of wisdom. How interesting is that? Fools die for lack of wisdom. Verse 22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he has no sorrow with it. Isn't that an interesting comparison? If God blesses you, don't be sorry about it. Don't be sorry about it. And if God blesses you a lot, I remember one time, Somebody bought the car of my dream. And I saw him get out and I said, man, that's the car of my dream. And, and you know what they did? They threw the keys up in the air and says, catch. He says, take it out and run it around. 
They were not embarrassed by having this awesome car. In fact, not hardly even knowing me, they threw me the keys. Take it for a spin. Now, I've been here a long time. How many of you know that my, my, my most favoritist car <laughs> likely has enough giddy up and go to throw you back in the seat and remind you, you really should wear a seatbelt when you're driving this car. And they put it, and so I took off in that thing, and I decided if I was going to test drive the car, I'd just as well test drive it. Put the foot feed to the floor and went, oh my, you know, and just like holding on, right? See, they weren't, they knew, they had to know that if you throw the keys to a guy who thinks he can't afford what you're driving, he's likely going to drive the thing. And I did. I drove it. Room, zoom, zoom. Right? Came back and preached a really good message. Because <laughs> I had no sorrow. <laughs> are you tracking with me? See, there are times in our spiritual life where we're embarrassed because God blesses us. God blesses us. Right? Listen, God wants to bless you. Quit trying to hide it for heaven. Now, you don't have to flaunt it, but quit trying to hide it. A number of you have noticed that my wife and I are driving a new used car. Oh, nice car, Pastor. Looked for a long time to find that car. I didn't hide it when I came to church in it. Nice car. Only had 39,013 miles on it. It's 10 years old. Oh, yeah. How many of you know when a car has 40,000 miles on it, what do you, what, what's the thing you have to do to your car when it has 40,000 miles? Anybody know? Come on. How long is the warranty on them tires? 40,000 miles. Why? Because they're worn out. So when you buy a car with 39,000 miles, guess what it has? Well, not if you buy it from the right dealer, it doesn't. It has brand new tires. I'm thrilled. I've got brand new t- When am I going to have to change those tires? 40 more thousand miles. Got any idea how much those tires cost? Yeah, it costs a lot, right? You know, like 200 bucks a, a wheel. The Lord saved me $800, $300 a t- Thank you, Byron. Man, $300 a tire. Oh, the Lord saved me $1,200, blessing me. I'm not sorry about that. Are you tracking with me? You say, well, but I, you know. It, it, God intends to bless you. That's what this says. And he's asking you not to be sorry about it. Amen. 29. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. Listen, when you run out of gas... When you're tired in what you're going through, it's because you're doing it in your own strength. Grace will never make you tired. But working in your own soul will. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. You say, oh, I'm so tired. Okay, let's have a now faith is word of the moment here. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright. 
But destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Don't ever look at those people who you think are getting ahead because they're being dishonest. Their day's coming and it's not your responsibility. Notice in verse 32, we'll close here. The lips of the righteous knows what is acceptable. Now, you may not quite understand this, but you know what? There are some things that are just unacceptable to come out of your mouth. You ought not to talk that way. Sweet water and bitter water shouldn't, shouldn't come out. I don't, I don't care what happened to you. You don't have to send that email. You don't have to send that phone call. You don't have to send that text. You don't have to confront somebody because your truth was offended. The lips of the righteous knows what is acceptable. Amen. But the mouth of the wicked, what is perverse, which suggests... <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that the wicked person knows what they're saying is wrong, but they say it anyway because they want the results of what they say. I don't have time to get into that one, but it, 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 should, be, it should be easy. <clears throat> one last one. Look at, look, at, look at verse number two of chapter 11. When pride comes, then comes shame. Pride is your ability to hide behind a face or, or mask. But it says when you do that, it brings shame. Shame is when what you've done becomes who you are. So pride will lead you to that. What does that mean? It means we should be able to, to willingly reveal what we're going through so that we don't wear the mask that says, oh yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. No, you're not. Because see, when that pride mask is used, it leads to shame. Notice it says, but with the humble is wisdom. So that humble person begins to reveal what's going on there. That makes sense. Okay, so I hope you're, you're at least moderately liking this, this literary thing that's going on in these chapters. We'll, we'll pick up speed next week, I'm sure. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you, Lord God, for how you teach us, how you show us in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.